Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords, and this is the 478th show of ROI. Our guest for today's show is Dr. Dan Davis, professor of classics, history, and marine archaeology in the history department at Luther College, and we're going to be talking about the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency. Joining us for the second segment of the show will be our history buffs, Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. So first of all, welcome back to the show, Dan. Thank you, Jace. Great to be back. So this is first segment we call Farouk Danarin, and really what we're trying to do is just um, sort of create some background for, for our listeners to what the, the show's going to be about. So can you start us off with just some basic information about what the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency is and then how you got involved with them? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, at, right, you pronounced the acronym exactly correctly, right? The Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency, the DPAA for short. And I'll, I'll try to use the DPAA acronym as much as possible just to save time on the broadcast. Um, so the DPAA is uh, the latest iteration of the government agency that tries to account for all of the United States uh, war dead, those who have perished in the process of fighting uh, the various conflicts that we've been involved with uh, around the world since uh, World War I. Um, right currently, the DPAA is based out of uh, out of Washington, D.C., and then they have a, a very large laboratory in, um, in, in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, um, on, the, on Hickam Air Force Base, uh, the largest forensic anthropological lab on the planet, I'm told. It's quite large. Um, now, you know, after, even after World War I and World War II, or really during those two conflicts, there was always a concern to account for the, those who perished, in those conflicts, uh, uh, live in the theater. There are people who are actively filing paperwork, um, writing up descriptions of air crashes and sunken ships, and then, and then building the lists of, of, uh, of those deceased. Um, and so the accounting agency, the DPAA now, uh, they have partnered with multiple, now they do a pretty good job on their own of going around the world and working on these projects, but they're, they're, a, a not a small, certainly, but, uh, you know, a limited government agency. They can only do so much. But what they have done is they have uh, partnered with nonprofits uh, in the U.S. and abroad to, uh, to sort of farm out the work. And so I, I currently work with the University of Delaware and Project Recover. Uh, those, are two, those are two entities, two institutions that... Uh, saw an interest in, 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 in helping the DPAA, and the DPAA has partnered with them directly, has provided oversight with all of the reporting, and, and, uh, and, and has helped out with budgets. So right now, there's, a, there's an extensive partner network, in addition to, of course, the, the DPAA, which oversees all of the different partners. Okay. So if you can, tell us a little bit about what you do specifically um, to uh, to sort of further this goal. Sure, my job is a is to serve as an archaeologist on these expeditions. These um, these projects that we run every year are in various places around the world. They range from, you know, 
well, just imagine everywhere that World War II was fought and, and people died. And, and that's where we go. So I, I personally have been working with the Project Recover and University of Delaware team in various places, including uh, Micronesia in the Western Pacific. Uh, we've worked in Denmark in the Baltic Sea. And then we've worked uh, with um, uh, in Croatia here uh, most recently. So all of these places I've been working are all underwater. These are all uh, aircraft casualties. Uh, I'm a marine archaeologist, so uh, Project Recover specializes in finding those MIAs that are that are underwater. Um, so what we do is we try to find the planes, and we then try to find the missing air crews. Now, I got involved with uh, Project Recover through a chance meeting with one of the co-founders. Um, that is uh, Dr. Mark Moline at the University of Delaware. Mark is a uh, co-founder of Project Recover, along with Eric Terrell on the West Coast, and then Pat Scannon, who was the original founder. And uh, I ran into Mark through a friend, and Mark said, hey, are you interested in, in helping us out? I understand you're a marine archaeologist. We need one on the project. And I said, I'd be happy to. And so we started working in Greece a few years ago. And then Mark and I hit it right off. Mark's assembled a great team of uh, research scientists and engineers to run all of the different vehicles, all of the underwater vehicles, to do the survey work. And um, so I serve as their archaeologist. So whenever we find something, um, they, they, they kind of bring me in to, to help with the documentation and uh, with directing the field work. But up until that time, th these guys are actually in the field uh, with their vehicles doing most of the survey work. Now, it doesn't require my expertise. I, I do a little bit of underwater remote sensing in the past as a marine archaeologist, but these guys are uh, the cream of the crop, the top of the line people who know exactly what they're doing. In fact, some of them have actually uh, built the vehicles that we use to do so. All right. Well, we have so much more to talk about in our next segment, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KLA St. Ambrose University 106.1 FM. If you are wondering how to find out where locals love to go, there's a website called localsloveus.com. Or you can pick up a Locals Love Us guide around town as well. Localsloveus.com. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussions of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Dr. Dan Davis, professor of classics, history, and marine archaeology in the history department at Luther College. And we're talking about the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency. Our history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. Terry, why don't you start us off? Okay. Yeah, Dan, you mentioned uh, Project Recover. I went out to their website and I was amazed. I had no idea. There were so many MIAs. Um, they said over 72,000 and close to 1,400 individuals from just the state of Iowa. Can you tell me a little bit more about the founding of Project Recover and how it became an international um, expedition? 
I'd be happy to, uh, Terry. So Project Recover really is a as an offshoot. Um, it's like the second iteration of a of an earlier organization that was founded by um, by Pat Scannon. Uh, Pat Scannon was is a retired doctor and um, he was an internist, I believe. And he uh, was on vacation in the Pacific. He started learning about the missing air crews, and he thought, well, I wonder if there's anything I can do. This is 25 years ago. Uh, well, one thing led to another, and Pat started looking, uh, mostly underwater for these planes of the Pacific, and that led to the creation of the Bent Prop Association. Most times, that planes crash in the water, their propellers get bent back, and so Bent Prop was a natural name for, for that organization. Well, eventually, Bent Prop evolved into Project Recover. Pat took on a couple of partners, uh, oceanographers who were really interested in helping out with the mission, which we find to be very uh, important and very noble. And uh, and then that that led to a much larger organization because of that expansion of partners. And uh, with that expansion became uh, came with that expansion came a. Uh, uh, just just a, a ramping up of the technology that you can use to bring to bear to find uh, airplanes at the bottom of the sea. So, so Pat, so Pat, Scannon is the founder, and Mark and Eric they've come along and have really increased our capability and capacity. We've got a lot of volunteers. We have really an army of volunteers that we can bring on any project, and uh, at the, and then at the same time, it's nothing but PhDs on the team. People who are at the top of their respective fields who have have come together to create this synergy to uh, to accomplish these missions. Okay, Ed, do you have a question? Well, I have a couple, Jay. Good, um, Dan. When you when you're called to work uh, on a on a crash site, um, what do you actually find for physical evidence, um, and how deep a water are you capable of working in? Right, so the depths of water are limited to about, uh, we always use meters in science here, but I'll, I'll switch to feet, 150 feet. That's, our, that's our, our bottom. We can't go any deeper than that. If we do have to go deeper than that, if we, if we do find planes, we want to investigate them, then we have to hire uh, technical dive teams uh, as part of the project. And then they, came on, they come on and, then, and do that kind of work deeper than we can. But we can find a lot of stuff shallower than 150 feet. Uh, most of the, of the uh, plane crashes that occurred are pretty close to shore. And so 150 is a pretty good depth for that. What do we find? We find airplanes. We find airplane parts. Um, World War II, you know, we're talking about an era in which most of the planes are, are propeller-driven. And so they reach speeds of, you know, 200, 300 miles per hour. When they hit the water, most of the air... Most of the stuff that was in the air survives. Engines, fuselage, um, you know, uh, even bomb payloads will survive oftentimes if they weren't dropped ahead of time. And, uh, and on top of that, we find the human remains themselves. Now, they're not always there. You know, certain, we, we have to evaluate uh, each case on a case-by-case basis. Sometimes uh, the planes will crash in areas where the water is a little bit murkier, a little little dirtier, a little muddier on the bottom. And those uh, human remains tend to survive longer. Um, 
if you're in tropical environments or in, in, in places where, you know, you just don't get a lot of sedimentation, then it's kind of hit or miss. There's a chance that you might find um, that you might find human remains and there's a chance that you just might not because of all of the, the bottom life that's at work on the, on the seabed. Sure. Um, Dan, so I'm, I'm personally interested in the technology because you talked about all the technology that, that can now be brought to bear. Can you talk to us about the different kinds of um, machines and diving apparatus and whatever that are being used um, we were just talking, Terry and I, be, before you came on about the revolution that's happened in uh, archaeology and for, for say, you know, uh, in Mayan archaeology because laser has become uh, so available and is showing so many incredible things. Has a similar mm -hmm. kind of technological revolution happened in underwater capabilities that, that really allow you to do things you couldn't have done, say, a decade or two later uh, ago? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and it's a great question. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, there's been a technological revolution in underwater remote sensing, for whether it's for archaeology or just finding anything. Um, you know, in the old days, it used to be you just had divers. And, you know, most water is pretty murky. So if, if you're diving and you're swimming along trying to find something, you're going to cover a very limited amount. Basically, you're a, you're a person wandering around in a cornfield with a flashlight. Uh, and so with the advent of sonar back in, uh, just in and after World War II, that expanded the capability of searching wide areas of seabed. But it's really been in the last, I'd say, 10, 15 years where sonars mounted on autonomous underwater vehicles, or what we call AUVs, um, have really led to uh, expanded search capabilities. In the old days, you had to tow a sonar behind a boat, and then you would spend a lot of fuel, a lot of manpower, a lot of money, frankly, um, being able uh, to, you know, to, to search wide areas. But now you could program a little autonomous vehicle, and it'll go out and do all of your work for you for four, five, 10, 20 hours, depending on the size of the vehicle. Surfaces, you, you go and pick it up and download the data, and you have then a, basically a seabed map of, of the entire search area that you want. And then you can pick out targets to go back and dive on. Okay. Uh, Terry. Yes, I'd like to piggyback on that question. So when you're talking about getting the data back from these yeah. AUVs and looking at the seabed map, how can you determine if a feature is geological or man-made? With the question of the day, really. Um, you know, at the end of a long day of surveying and diving, we, we collect that day's data and we look at it on the screen. And it might take anywhere from two to three hours of just the whole room staring at the computer screen, trying to decide, hey, is that Elvis or is that an airplane, right? And you, you really start to see things in the sonar data. But um, we're pretty good at it by now. And we can usually tell when something's man-made because there's a straight line. There's a, there's a curve. There's a, you know, it just doesn't look rocky. It looks more plainy for us or shipwrecky. And sometimes we find shipwrecks in the process of looking for airplanes. And um, this last mission that we were just on uh, in Croatia, we're actually um, collecting information on known sites 
so that we can create a, uh, a, a set of software programs using machine learning that will do that review work for us in a much more efficient manner. Uh, that's a pretty exciting innovation project that uh, was sponsored by the Defense DOW MIA Accounting Agency. And, uh, and we're hoping that it'll streamline the process going forward. Okay. Ed. Um, yeah, uh, Dan, when you're called in, um, when a, when a, um, when a uh, site is located with a down plane, when you're called in, um, do you have any information to work on from the start, as in a flight plan or a flight manifest, um, plane ID? What, what do you actually have to work with? Well, usually what happens is um, either the, the historians that work for Project Recover or the historians that work for DPAA, they will examine the case history of these different crashes and they will decide, hey, this has a really good chance of being found. In other words, an X marks the spot on a report from World War II um, looks a little bit um, looks a little bit promising, and so we'll pass around these different cases. All of the all these crashes were documented, um, usually the day of the crash, um, in the in these different conflicts. Um, we'll evaluate the, the the record and we'll decide, hey, this might be worth a chance of finding something. And so we'll take that little X marks the spot on the on the makeshift map that was produced in the report. And we'll plug it into our own mapping software and just evaluate, hey, is the depth right? Is, the, uh, is there a high chance of success? And then we'll actually go in the field with all of that case history um, you know, under our arm. And, uh, and then we can work from there. Rarely is it the case where somebody finds a World War II aircraft, reports it, and then we get you know, called up and, 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 and sent out to the field. No, we're choosing our own cases to pursue with the best chance of success. And do you actually get in the water when you're called in? Uh, of course, yeah. This is uh, one of the okay. things I live for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love getting in the water and getting wet. Uh, having robots do all the work is not all that much fun uh, for people <laughs> like me. Uh, no, we, and that's mostly because of the sensitivity of the objects we're trying to find. We're trying to find human remains. And so uh, you do need divers. You need hands uh, to go in and move dirt. And, uh, and see exactly what it is uh, that you're uncovering. Okay. Uh, Dan, I'm curious then, in terms of recovery, what gets yeah. recovered? And how do you make that determination? I mean, are you just recovering human remains when you discover them? Are you bringing up fuselage from planes? Are there you know other kinds of things that you're specifically looking for? Um, I'm just thinking from a historical perspective, you know, whether you would want to collect these sorts of things for future study. So, so what, what actually gets brought to the surface? Right. So our priority is, is of course the human remains. We're, we're not interested in the plane parts, um, except where they can help us identify a specific air crash. Right. So, Let's say, for example, that uh, we have a couple of cases, uh, a couple of crashes that occurred in, in the same area. Well, we want to know which crash or which plane is which crash, um, because that will help with the identification process through DNA of any human remains that we would find on those crashes. 
So if we have a couple of uh, planes in one area, we would bring up identify, uh, identifiable parts from each plane. And that would include stuff like uh, data plates. You know, most of the planes that were uh, built for World War II were built, you know, like in the Buick Motor Company or in, uh, in the Ford Motor Company or the Pratt & Whitney. You know, these different places that produce these airplane parts and put them all together, they are American companies, and they kept data, serial numbers, for example, of airplanes on data plates distributed among the aircraft. Um, same goes with machine guns. If we find uh, a 50 caliber machine gun with a serial number on it, we can always, almost always, tie that back into a specific plane in which we know all of the people who perished on that plane by name and by serial number, and by, you know, by service number. And at that point, if we can get a positive ID on the plane that we're, we're currently um, you know, investigating, then the, we can send that information to the DPAA, and they can start their investigation, a, a building up of, uh, the buildup of a DNA database, so that we can positively identify those human remains. Okay. Terry. Yeah. Yeah, Dan, you mentioned um, that some of the aircraft go down with bomb payloads. What are the dangers uh, that you have faced in, when recovering military aircraft? <laughs> sure. Well, we, it, it would always be nice if there were no bombs, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> none, none of us are, none of us is really comfortable working uh, on a site with, uh, with suspected or, or known ordnance. Um, Typically, we find, you know, machine gun bullets all over the place. Um, uh, Bombers especially would carry, you know, thousands of rounds of ammo in the air with them. Well, those are inert in seawater. We don't worry about those. But if there there is suspected ordinance, then we typically uh, let the DPAA know. And then we'll make some sort of provision for um, an EOD team, an an, uh, explosive ordinance disposal team to come out and survey the site first. Bombs are pretty easy to find because they're highly magnetic. So you could just, you could pinpoint those. And then usually EOD divers uh, in the military will come out, they'll float the bombs away and then detonate them. That's happened for us on, on multiple occasions where we've had to do that. That, that sounds exciting to me, <laughs> to be sitting on your ship and suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> there was one site where um, that we worked on where uh, 10 bombs, we know that, that the bomber crashed before it dropped its payload of 10 500-pound bombs, and only nine of the bombs were actually found. And no one actually ever found out where the 10th bomb was. So there we were working around the site with that, with that one bomb. Well, I mean, odds of it going off are really slim anyway. They need to, you know, they, they weren't, uh, uh, they weren't armed. They weren't actually equipped with fuses, you know, until they were over their drop zone. So, you know, the odds of it detonating are really, really low. But still, there's that one chance. Right. <laughs> There's still a pucker factor. <laughs> there sure is. <laughs> um, so, Ed, you get the last question of the segment, and Dan, I'll just let you know that you got about uh, th- two minutes or so to answer it. Okay, sure. Um, okay, Dan, uh, why don't you tell us how a marine archaeologist winds up teaching at Luther College, which is a <laughs> long way from any kind of submerged plane crash? <laughs> 
Sure. I appreciate the, I appreciate the question. Uh, it, what a roundabout story. And I'm glad that you gave me the two minute, uh, warning on this one. Um, <laughs> I, so I, my background is in, uh, in, in my early life was in Navy diving. I was a diver in the Navy, deep sea diver. And, um, and I got out of, uh, after my first hitch and I thought, I want to do something underwater, uh, that's related to history. And so I went off and I got a, a degree in marine archaeology, and then uh, I followed up with a PhD in classics. So I actually teach Greek and Roman history, I teach Greek and Latin language, and I teach marine archaeology on occasion, uh, mostly involving ancient shipwrecks. So my specialty is ancient Greek and Roman shipwrecks. Uh, but that military connection uh, that, I, that I had in my earlier career um, I, I think that is what stands out to, to Mark and those guys when they were looking around for a marine archaeologist. That's the short story. <laughs> okay. Um, so we always try to give our guests the last word on the show. So, uh, Dan, why do you think knowing about the POW MIA accounting agency and its work is relevant in today's world? Sure. And that's really a, an awesome question. It is. So the DPAA is doing highly relevant work because um, World War II, especially in Vietnam and Korea to, to a large extent as well, they um, there were so many people who died that nearly every family in the U.S. has some connection to some missing member of the armed forces from those conflicts. Um, so. The DPA is is out there trying to identify, trying to discover first and then identify these human remains so that we can return them to their hometowns, so that we can return them for reburial uh, back in their hometowns and to bring closure to those families. Uh, you know, our, people from our team have been to these, these uh, reburials, these uh, repatriation ceremonies, and they are extraordinarily emotional. People... Uh, are finding closure. You, you still have living siblings, still have uncles. You have great uncles and great grandpas too, who who went missing during the war. But it's really it really is important to that they know that their country is out there still trying to find their loved ones who gave everything for in the service of their country. And we at ROI are just really thrilled that you're involved and that this project is out there. I just wanted to get that on before we close. So when we come back, we're going to wrap things up. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2.
This concludes our 478th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zapsapital. My name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Dan Davis, professor of classics, history, and marine archaeology in the history department at Luther College. And we've been talking about the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency. The history buffs for today's show were Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all listeners to experience the great Pasutu proverb, Hotsa Pulinala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.